for the next eight weeks, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles along, bring your notebooks along, make some notes. It's going to be an incredible time that we're going to have together and, um, and spend time in this, uh, in this book. And the purpose of this series really is to establish a theological understanding of the kingdom of God. Um, it's an it's a incredible book to learn f- from when we speak about God's kingdom. And so it's not just a, a man-made, made-up uh, understanding that we should have about God's kingdom. No, it's a God understanding. When Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? And so just briefly, we spoke last week that we'll speak over the next few weeks about the king of the kingdom, the people of the kingdom, and the ways of the kingdom. And so a lot to cover over the next eight weeks. And as a Christian, I believe that it's crucial for us to understand this whole concept of God's kingdom, amen? Um, As it's really confusing for many people, because where is God's kingdom? Is it in heaven? Is it somewhere on earth? Is it a place? Is it in our hearts? What is this thing? So it's very important for us to understand God's kingdom. And so my topic tonight is the unexpected king. And so we'll start off this series with the king of the kingdom. And so that's why last week was really a foundational message, just sort of to understand in which direction we are going. But if we speak about God's kingdom, we need to speak about the king. And this king is a very unexpected king. And we'll see through the word tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open up and turn to Mark. And we'll read from chapter 1. Mark, it's the second gospel, it's the second book in the New Testament, and um, and we're going to start from chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I'm going to read that again, listen, we have to focus now, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's an incredible start. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out To him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Listen to this verse. Quite an interesting verse. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Up to there. An incredible few verses, amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in this place. This is not my words. This is your word. It's not I that can change. It's you that change. So I want to pray that in this moment that you will fill hearts, convict hearts, not condemnation. It's conviction, Lord, for us to follow you, the King of kings, the one who reigns forever. From a thousand generations, we know that you are the King. May we be convicted about this. May you set our hearts ablaze so that your kingdom will come in our hearts and that it will make a difference wherever we go. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so just a few um, as we go into this series and we speak about the Gospel of Mark, a few introductory ideas that we need to take note of. Mark is quite an action-packed gospel. Right, it's, it's fast-paced, like it's, you know, it's, it's going. Like if you think about the four Gospels, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, we have Mark, which is the shortest one. And so whatever Luke and Matthew had to say in 25, 28 chapters, Luke did it in six, oh, Matthew, Mark did it in 16. And so it's... You know, he went for it. If John were to be, you know, French and, you know, bonjour, Jesus. Mark would be bullet points like, let's go, open the door, get in, we are going. Straight at it. If you do a word, actually a word search on the word immediately in the whole Bible, the word immediately is like, 83 or 85 times, and then in the New Testament, 73 times, and then in Mark, 35 times. <laughs> it's like, immediately he was baptized, immediately he went into the desert, immediately he started with his, with his ministry, and so Mark had this thing. It's an action-packed, fast gospel. Mark is also the earliest gospel of the four, so it's the it's the earliest gospel that was written sort of in the 60s, about 63, 65, 10, 20 years after Jesus um, died. The writer of Mark is obviously Mark. Mark was the interpreter of Peter, and so there's this theory that Mark is the gospel of Peter um, through, Mark, through Mark's eyes or through Peter's eyes. Um, but that's just the theory. Mark is the author of it. 
Um, Mark was all the time with Peter, which was the disciple of Jesus. And so it's great to know that they were also together and he would have had a lot of input into this book. The audience of this, of this book is quite interesting because when you write, you write obviously towards an audience. And so um, where Matthew, the audience was Jewish people, and so we get a lot of explaining that needs to happen because of the law and the prophets. We have an action-filled gospel because the audience was Gentiles. And so it's a short, concise Jewish story that was being preached to the Gentiles. And so they did not need all the laws and the prophets to be explained. It's just a story of Jesus to the Gentiles, the Romans in that time. And lastly, if we, if we speak about introductory ideas, we speak about a genre, it's a gospel. And a gospel, in, in short words, it's news. It's, it's not just news like, this is good news. Like, think about your favorite news channel or news website, or maybe if you still read the paper. I don't think this is the crowd that still reads the paper. Oh, okay. Um, but this is, this is news. And so we think about the four gospels, it's... It's news, but it's, it's good news. It's not a letter. It's not prophecies. It's news. But God is saying this is good news because it's the, the news about a king. And so we have to keep this in mind when we read and go through this specific book. Also, I mentioned last week the kingdom of God is mentioned in the, script, in, in the scriptures different ways. Maybe you've picked it up. Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven. It's because of the the audience that he's preaching to, he, did not, he was sensitive to use the word God. And so Mark would refer more to the kingdom of God. Luke refers to the kingdom of Christ or just kingdom. Ephesians refers to the kingdom of David. It doesn't matter what the semantic is. It's, there's one kingdom. It's not different kingdom because the semantics change. It's one kingdom, and it's God's kingdom that we're speaking about. Amen? Right. So Mark makes this big claim right from the outset in this chapter, and he's saying, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is a big claim. This is big. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so you're like, mm, Richard, brother, give me that Jesus. Give me that Son of God. <laughs> mm, it's beautiful. Just for a moment, Detach yourself from all religion. I want you to close your eyes. Just for a moment. And detach yourself from all the, the Sunday school stories that you've heard. And the animations that you've heard about. And the religion that's built up maybe over years. And for a moment, let it just sink in these words that Mark is Wanting us to hear from the very beginning, he's saying, Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. And it's good news. It is good news. You're welcome to open your eyes. Jesus is the king. But when we speak about kingdoms and kings, we all have made up ideas about it and maybe even now more because the queen that reigned for 70 years died and we saw the funeral this week, right? 
And so maybe your idea of kings and kingdoms is maybe a series that you've watched or you, 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 you see what's happening in the United Kingdom. Queen Elizabeth II, King Charles III. What is your perception of kings and kingdoms? Royalty, monarchy. For us to understand just what kind of king Jesus was, we need to understand how unexpected he was. We need to understand how unexpected this king was. And this is what this first 15 chapters is all about. This first 15 chapters highlight just how different and unexpected King Jesus was. What are you saying? Saying it was an unexpected preparation. It was an unexpected coronation. And it was an unexpected justification. Let's go into this. An unexpected preparation means if you think about the ancient times with kings and even today when you have to, when they had to prepare for a king or when a king would go and visit a city, he would, the, the way for that king would be prepared in two ways. And so physically he would send out people that would prepare the way, make the, the way safe so that the king, when the king passed, it's a safe passage. There's not a lot of potholes and, you know, it's a safe it's a safe road to, to pass, preparing the way, making the way safe. The second way is they will, they will send messengers that will herald that the king is coming with royal robes and, and, and trumpets and saying, and blowing on these trumpets and saying, the king is coming. Get excited. Royalty is about to enter the room. Royalty is about to enter the city. Make way for the king. Preparing for the king. And so when we read verse 2, very interesting. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now listen what it says in Isaiah. There are many Old Testament prophets who prophesied that the king is coming. There is a king that is coming. And they, and they, they prophesied in different ways. We have Isaiah that prophesied. We have Malachi that prophesied. Daniel prophesied about Jesus. Zechariah prophesied about Jesus. Old Testament prophecies. Listen to Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi 3 verse 1. A messenger to prepare the way. I wish we can read Daniel 7 verse 13 to 14. It's just too long. But listen to Zechariah 9 verse 9. Your king is coming mounted on a donkey. It's not that the people of Israel did not know these prophecies. They knew about them. They knew that the king is coming. A king is coming. And someone is going to herald that the king is coming. And then John. 
and then John. And there's a reason why there's so much detail about the looks of John. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a yellow snake around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Can you imagine? John was the forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus. There was no robes and trumpets. Do you think, like, God was quiet for 400 years before John. I think, I think he, he would have been quite capable of organizing something better if that was the plan. Like, I mean, if you think about the royals today and the monarchs, I mean, it takes them two, three, five weeks to organize something proper. Maybe the funeral took them three weeks to organize or two weeks. If they're going to organize the coronation now, it will take them maybe a month or one, and they all organ- you'll see something spectacular, majestic. God had 400 years, and you're like, God, you came up with John, with camel's hair, eating sprinkana. What an unexpected preparation. What an unexpected way to prepare for the king is coming. But it had to be this way. Because this Jesus is not a normal Jesus. He's not a normal king. It's a king that will change history for generations to come. If you think about a kingdom, a kingdom is is supposed to be powerful, strong, impose their will upon people and defeat enemies. And then Jesus comes and he says things like, turn the other cheek. He says things like, do not hate your enemies, but love them. <laughs> He's like, walk an extra mile. I'm like, Jesus, this is my enemies. The Romans are my enemies. I'm not going to walk an extra mile for them. And Jesus like, you pick up that bag and you walk an extra mile. That's what we do in this kingdom. <laughs> he would say things like, give without desire to receive back. The greatest in the kingdom is the weakest. Can you imagine that? Jesus is saying these things. This kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's viewed differently. The way up is the way down. The way forward is the way back. Prepared by an unexpected king. Modeled by an unexpected king. The question is, would we have recognized him? Because they didn't. Even though there was multiple prophecies about Jesus from the prophets, they missed him. They completely missed him. And they killed him for what, he, what was prophesied over him. That he is the king. Secondly, It's an unexpected coronation. Now, a coronation is the act of ceremony or crowning a king. And and maybe, you know, over the next few weeks, you you will see the splendor of a coronation. We've never seen it before because Queen Elizabeth II reigned for 70 years. And and you'll see a coronation when King Charles is going to be coronated. You'll see it. And you'll think about these words. 
But you'll see the splendor of it, the crown, the, 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 the staff, what they call it, the scepter, the orb, the robes, the trumpets. It's going to be majestic. But then listen to verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Jesus did not have a coronation on a throne. He was baptized in the Jordan. And the heavens opened up. And in that moment, God ushered his kingdom onto the earth. And the, the dove, the Holy Spirit, came and remained on Jesus. He did not leave again. He remained on Jesus for the very first time. And God spoke the words and he said, you are my son. statement, and this statement echoed two important messianic texts from the Old Testament. Psalm 2 verse 7 said, the Lord said to me, you are my son. And Isaiah 42 verse 1, I have put my spirit upon you, upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And in that moment, when the heavens opened, and the dove descended, and God spoke. Jesus was coronated to be king, not just of the Jews, but of the world, friends. And history changed. History changed. Jesus was declared king of the world right there. And then at his crucifixion, they gave him, <laughs> at his crucifixion, they gave him a thorn crown. And these priests asked him, are you really the son of God? And I bet Jesus screamed inside. He's like, you missed my coronation. You missed it because you were looking for something else. You were looking for a king on a white horse that will be coronated with a crown. And that's not the king that God has designed for history to come. It's a king that will change every person in their hearts. You missed the coronation and they put a crown on him and they put robes on him and they say, you are the king of the Jews. And he was enthroned on the cross. But he defeated sin and evil. And he established a way by which all of, our, all of his followers could take part in his kingdom. By beating death, sitting at the right hand of God. And because the spirit remains, is living in, inside each one of us. God's kingdom is inside of us. And wherever we go, we have the privilege to share it with people. Lastly, an unexpected justification. Now, if you think about ancient kings and kingdoms, you know, 
The king, if the king is having a great day, you might live, right? If, if you're late and he's feeling great, then you might walk out with your head still in place. But if the king is not having a great day, like you might be going to the gallows and, and die. And so we see kings up and down through generations and history, human kings, even if you read the word of God and, and kings, they were up and down, they were, they were good and bad. And then we read about King Jesus in this, in this, in this verses, and we read verse 13, which is very interesting. Right after Jesus' coronation, what happens? Verse 13, and he was... In the wilderness, 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He did not go to the throne, to a throne, to start judging people and saying, no, you are good, you are bad, you are good, you are bad. No, we're going to kill you. No, you can stay. No. no, he went to the desert for 40 days. Why did he go there? Remember, Israel spent 40 years in the desert and they failed because they, the temptation that was brought in front of them, they worshipped idols all the time. And actually they failed. And remember Adam, because of sin, he failed. And so Jesus had to go and be tempted and tested and see if he's really the son of God. And so God sent him immediately into the desert to be tempted, to take our place and feel what it feels to be tempted as humans. And he stood the test. And his victory over the devil's temptation in the desert symbolizes his success in the place of their failures. And so this is why Jesus is the one who fully frees the human heart to serve God. He's the only one that can do it. He felt what it means to feel, to feel tempted. And so he understands where you are at. And therefore, his justification is always the same. He will save you every time. And then verse 15, saying, the time, listen to this, very interesting words, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus came out of the desert, it's like he was saying, the king is now here. Can you imagine the king walking into a town and healings happening and people getting free? Because it's, it's not just someone that's there. It's not just a prophet or a man. No, it's the king is in. The room, the weight of the king is there. And this kingdom is for everyone. We have a righteous king. He's a good king who wants to save us and justify us. And he's constant. He's not up and down, then then he don't want to save you. Then he's going to save you. No, he's the same. He's constant. And so we speak. When we speak about 
an unexpected king. We speak about a king that was, his preparation looked different. His coronation was different. And his justification is different. He, it, it's an upside down kingdom. So I want to ask you to stand and the band can come up, you guys. I want to end off with one question. But before I share this question with you, the, the good news tonight is that Jesus has defeated death. Right? He defeated death and He's reigning as the King. He has dealt with our sin and corruption Himself. He did not send someone else to go and deal with our sin and our corruption in the way that we are, our human nature, our sinful nature. Now, he dealt with it himself, the king himself. He, he had victory over sin and death. And he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And he's inviting all of us to be part of his kingdom. The question is, do you recognize it? So I want to end with this question. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? There was this one moment in, in Matthew 16. And Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who does the people say I am? They said, well, some say you are the prophet. Some say you might be Elijah. Some say you are even John the Baptist. So no one was saying that Jesus is the king. And so Jesus turned to his disciple and he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say he is tonight? You think he's half king? So because he's half, half king, he's ruling half of your heart, half of your decisions. Was he, was he king? When he walks into the room, when he, rocks into, when he walked into your life, everything changed. It, it was impossible for things to stay the same because he is, when a king walks into a place, into a room, nothing is the same. Everything changed. And so who is he to you?